begin with prayer. Join with me in prayer. Dear Father, we thank you for this uh, day, for this time and place where we have gathered to attend to your word and to learn from you. We pray that you would bless this time of instruction as well as our worship of you this day, that we might rest in you and be filled with the peace and joy and righteousness of the Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so today we're going to do something a little similar and a little different. We're going to uh, continue the series that we've been looking at, that, of that of virtues, but we're also going to put a, a Christmas twist on it. Uh, I want to look at how the virtues we've been looking at uh, can be found or illustrated in the accounts of Christ's birth. So thinking of Luke 1 and 2 and Matthew 1 and 2, speaking of how Christ was, was made man and was conceived and born, that we can think of faith, hope, and love, and piety, and uh, the other virtues that we've discussed. So let's begin with faith. Uh, can, anything, can anyone think of an example of faith or when faith is mentioned in the account of, what was that? In the account of Christ's birth. So in Luke, I mean, Abraham is correct. <laughs> this is a good example of faith. But in, in Luke 1 or 2, or Matthew 1 or 2. Well, Mary says that faith Right, and that's the example I was thinking of. Um, when, when Elizabeth greeted Mary, she said, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Uh, Mary received a message that was unusual, a message from God through the angel, that the child that she would have uh, was, would be, first of all, conceived at all, was miraculous enough, right? But then that that child was the Son of God, was the eternal Son of God. God made man and would be the king, um, and would be the Savior. Uh, but Mary had said to the angel, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Uh, after receiving some explanation, you know, she, she embraced that word and believed that it would be fulfilled. And, and so she is blessed uh, on that account. Uh, thinking of, again, how we spoke of faith, she had knowledge, first of all, right, that she received the message, the claims that, that God was making, she also assented to its truth, that that's true, and she also embraced it with, with trust. You know, let it be according to your word. Now, this faith in this particular message would be an expression of her faith in general in God as her Savior. I had mentioned in speaking of faith that we especially receive and rest upon Christ alone for our salvation, but this faith in God then receives everything that God says. So if God gives you a promise, you know, you embrace it. If he gives you a command, we seek to obey it. If he gives you a warning, we heed it. You know, and all of that are believing responses to his word. And so Mary believed in God as her savior and so also received this word from him that the child that she was to bear would be uh, God himself, the son of God. 
Now, her faith in God and his provision of Christ is also expressed in her song, where she praises God and rejoices in God, her Savior. Uh, she rested in the favor of, of her Savior, and she embraced the truth about Christ, that he was a fulfillment of God's mercy and promises, that God had remembered his mercy. He had fulfilled his promises to Abraham by, by sending uh, this, uh, this child of hers uh, that would be born. And so Mary is, is a good example of, of faith, uh, of Christian faith. Right, right. He and uh, Joseph as well, because at first he was going to uh, to divorce Mary privately, and uh, thinking that what had happened was immoral. But then, when he received the word of the angel, he believed, and therefore he acted upon it by by taking her, and also by giving Jesus the name that the angel had given him, which first of all expressed faith in the meaning of this child, who the child was and that he was the Savior, and also it meant that he recognized him as his, as his son, that, uh, his adopted son, that, that he gave Jesus the status of, of his um, family, of his Davidic heritage, you know, that he was uh, recognized as such by Joseph. What about hope? Can you think of how hope is expressed in the accounts of, of these chapters? Or an example of hope? Yeah. Christ is the, that, the fulfillment of hope. Can you think of anyone who had been exercising hope in looking for the Lord's Christ? Three wise men. Okay, yeah. Anna and Simeon are the ones that I was especially thinking of. Um, certainly all, all the faithful of Israel were looking for the coming of the Christ uh, with this confident expectation, uh, this hope. But Simeon especially is one that Scripture explicitly says was waiting for the consolation of Israel. What was the consolation of Israel? The coming of the Messiah. He would console Israel. He would bring peace and salvation to God's people. So he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He looked with confident expectation for the coming of the Christ, especially because for him particularly, quote, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So not only did he have this general expectation that the Christ would come someday, but he had received this revelation that it would even be within his lifetime. And so he was looking for the coming of this child. And believed the word, and therefore hoped, therefore expected it. You know, we had talked about how hope is, is the idea of, of waiting for with patient expectation or the looking forward to something with some reason for confidence regarding its fulfillment. Or as John Owen said, it is an earnest expectation proceeding from faith, trust, and confidence accompanied with longing desires of enjoyment that you want it to happen, and you think it is going to happen. You have, have confidence and, and desire. And so this hope of his was fulfilled when Jesus was brought as a 40-day infant to the temple. And he recognized that this was the Christ, and then he continued to hope. I mean, in one sense, his hope was fulfilled, 
what he was looking for happened, but then he spoke of what was yet to come, what would come of this child, that he would be a light to the Gentiles, that he was appointed for the rising and falling of many in Israel, that, um, that there was things yet to expect that would come from this child. Uh, but he, was, he rejoiced in the fulfillment of his hope that he would see the Lord's salvation. All right, what about an example of love? Example of love in the birth of Christ. What's that? That Mary loved her child? The birth of Christ. God. Yes, God's love. God's love is especially demonstrated in the birth of Christ. Uh, certainly, yes, there are other people who loved uh, each other in this passage, but, but the love of God is especially made manifest in sending his son and Christ himself and coming as, as man for us. You can think of 1 John 4. I know we're going out of the prescribed chapters, but speaking of this event, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then later on in the chapter, we love because he first loved us. So we love God. Uh, in response to his love, and we love one another in response to this love. But the love of God was made manifest when, when Christ came among us as, as one of us, taking our flesh and blood for our salvation. So we see that one who loves will seek the good of the one he loves, will delight in fellowship with that person, and will be willing to sacrifice for that person, even as Christ humbled himself and, and would later die for us because of his great love for us. And so this is a motive for us, that we love him and we love one another. That's also going to be part of the sermon later today, so we'll, we'll come to that again. So faith, hope, and love. Oh, do you remember what we said about piety? Can you think of an example of piety? Of course, it's going to be connected with the other virtues we've just talked about. The wise men? How would that be? Right, they paying homage to Christ, uh, that, that reverence that they, they showed for the king of the Jews. That she continued in prayer day and night in the temple and then uh, praised God with the, the coming of Christ. But yeah, that devotion that she showed. Um, I'm thinking again of, of Mary. Again, it blends with faith because faith is going to then express itself. Uh, but she was humble when she received the word of the Lord and she was grateful. So again, it's this mix of reverence and gratitude. Who am I? You know, uh, God has looked upon the humble estate of, of, of his servant um, when she 
singer song. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Uh, he's done great things for me, therefore I'm grateful. And holy is his name. He is, he is great and mighty and exalted above all, so we ought to be reverent towards him. And therefore, she was do- devoted to God, and she would uh, carry this, this child and embrace the duty that God had given her, embrace her calling uh, of, of uh, bearing the Son of God, and therefore praised him as well. So we have this uh, embrace of her calling as well as giving homage to God as both expressions of uh, piety. Any questions so far on these first four <clears throat> Obviously, we're, we're kind of reviewing them as, as we go along as well, but seeing these exemplified. Um, what about wisdom? Any, anyone wise in this passage? <laughs> Joseph? <laughs> wise men? <laughs> we have wise men right here. Uh, <laughs> yes, although I, to be fair, wise men is, is a translation of magi, which... It's not literally wise men, but that is what they were understood to be, the wise men in the kingdom, the counselors, the people who are supposed to know the times, uh, the people who are supposed to know what to do in the given situation. So wise men's perfectly good translation, and uh, not, wise men aren't always wise. You know, obviously in the stories of Daniel and uh, Joseph, you know, sometimes the wise men would be at a loss. The wisdom of this world is, uh, is, uh, falls short, but... These wise men were wise in that they understood the expectation that there would arise the king of the Jews that they ought to pay tribute to. Uh, Perhaps they had some knowledge of the prophecies of Scripture, that they also knew that this star that they had seen indicated that the king of the Jews was born. So they had insight, they had knowledge, and they were also wise to therefore act upon this knowledge and to go pay tribute to uh, the king of the Jews. And so they figured out the truth, they understood the situation, they fixed upon a fitting course of action, uh, some of the things we we talked about with respect to wisdom. They feared the Lord, uh, and therefore uh, came to his Messiah. um, Also, both the wise men and Joseph uh, were wise in heeding warnings. They were both prudent. Uh, of course, they received a special message from an angel or in dreams, but, you know, they could have ignored it. That wouldn't have been good. But they saw danger coming when Herod was going to uh, try to kill the Messiah. So the wise men returned a different way. Joseph, too, was wise in that he took the family then to Egypt to get away from King Herod. And then uh, when the danger was over, he was going to return, but then he heard that Herod's son was reigning and was kind of similar to his father, so he went to Nazareth. So you see how, so Joseph, of course warned by the angel, heeded the warnings, was prudent, was wise. Um, the prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it, as Proverbs 22.3 says. Also, wisdom is used to describe someone else in this passage, someone who grew grew in wisdom. Jesus. Jesus. Isn't that amazing? That the Son of God would grow in wisdom? How is that possible? 
How, but how could he grow? Isn't he all wise to begin with? How could Jesus grow in wisdom? Right. It's only because he became man that he has a human nature that started out as an infant. And uh, in that respect, he would learn things. He would grow in wisdom. Uh, that he would have a, a, a natural development, of course, more than natural because he was good. Uh, he made use of the opportunities he had. You know, he wasn't a, a slothful, negligent child. Uh, it's natural for children to grow in wisdom, but some children don't make use of all the opportunities given them and don't become wise. But, you know, Jesus grew in wisdom. Uh, twice it says it in Luke 2.40, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. And then chapter 2.52, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Um, and so it's, it's rather mysterious just because the whole idea of him being God and man is, is not anything we have an analogy to in our life. Uh, but it shows his humility that he adopted this nature, took on this nature, that also in, in, with that came the idea of growing in uh, stature and strength, as well as in wisdom. Um, one of the other virtues we talked about was righteousness. There are three people in Luke 1 and 2 and Matthew 1 and 2 that are described as being righteous. Actually, I should say four. Three times with four people. Because there's one couple that are described in this way. Can you think of who these people would be that are described as righteous? Yes, yes. He was a just man. Of course, that's also the same Greek word as righteous in other cases. He was a righteous person, a righteous man, and that meant that he was going to put away uh, Mary because he thought that she had been immoral, but also do it privately. He wasn't going to put her to, to public shame. Uh, so he was, he was fair. He was just, and he was concerned about righteousness. Um, but that would also manifest when he learned the whole story and, and was righteous in a different way. Jesus is righteous. Now, it, it doesn't use that word to describe in these chapters that I wasn't counting him. But obviously, yes, he's Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Yes, yes. And I, 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 I should be careful. It's possible that it does describe Jesus as righteous in these chapters. I'd have to think about it a little bit more. But uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, at uh, the beginning of Luke, verse 6, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Um, of course, that, that can only be said of us, resting upon God's grace, that he covers over our sins, that God is pleased with our obedience because he's working it within us and, and looks past our, our sins, forgiving them. But they were sincerely uh, obeying God, walking in his commandments, and so are described as, as those righteous before God. Um, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Oh, can you think of someone else who's described as righteous? Oh, I'm trying to think if they're described as righteous. Some, I was thinking of someone else. Yes, so Simeon whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. So, Simeon as well. Um, 
So with, with Joseph, it manifested in the way he was going to, to treat Mary. With Zachariah and Elizabeth, it's described as those who were uh, sincerely, diligently observing uh, God's commandments and statutes. Uh, in, in Simeon, it's not really described how he manifested that, but of course we see that he was, was uh, believing God's promises, devout, uh, devoted to him, and was going to uh, seek uh, to be righteous as well. So this uh, idea of righteousness, of, of obeying God's law and fulfilling our obligations, uh, being a virtue that we are to adopt as well as something that is imputed to us for Christ's sake, because we do hear that Jesus came to save us from our sins and that he gives us his righteousness as our status before God. All right, two more to go. Uh, steadfastness. Uh, which we talked about last week, uh, courage, fortitude, steadfastness, maybe not so much explicitly mentioned in this passage. Right, and, th- and through um, circumstances that were f- either could be fearful or, um, you know, taking Mary when, uh, you know, that, that she had become pregnant before their, their marriage, that that could have uh, been, been difficult, but he trusted God and persevered in his, his course. He, they traveled to Bethlehem and, um, and then took them to Egypt and then took them back. And, yes, we could say Joseph was steadfast. Mary and Joseph pressed on despite what others might think and the dangers and the hardships. Um, another example I was thinking of was Anna. We brought her up in, in terms of piety, but also her consistency over a long life of, of 87 years, either 87 years in her life or 87 years since, since uh, her husband died. In either case, it's a long time that she had uh, lived her life and, and devoted herself to, to the worship of God and prayer. Um, she had not departed from the temple worshiping God. Um, self-control is the one we're going to talk about next week uh, as we conclude the series. And again, it maybe not so much explicitly brought out in these passages, although it's kind of necessary for, for all of them as steadfastness is. Um, but um, perhaps we could think about how Mary and Joseph didn't have sexual relations until after Jesus was born, uh, that they refrained from that, although I don't think they refrained afterwards, that, that once they were husband and wife, um, that she was not ever virgin, although that, that is some, something that some people uh, believe, but uh, they did refrain until then. Also, John the Baptist had a special call to not drink wine or strong drink, and he lived a rugged life in the wilderness. That's not what everyone's called to, but he was, and uh, he exercised self-control and embraced that. He was not uh, one who was... Um, in palaces and soft clothing, as Jesus said, but one who uh, was a voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, and ate locusts and wild honey, and was able to, to embrace that calling. Now, there's one major counterexample of someone who lacked virtue in the accounts of Christ's birth. Oh, I would say two. I mean, oh, probably more than one, yeah. One that I'm thinking of, I should say. Go ahead. 
Right, right. I was thinking of Herod, but you're right. The, 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 the Sanhedrin, the scribes and, and Pharisees as well, um, for similar reasons. Uh, with Herod, he showed a lack of self-control. He was furious when he heard that the, the wise men had gone on, and in that rage, then committed other sins, that he showed a lack of righteousness, slaughtering the innocents. Uh, had all these babies in Bethlehem done anything unjust to deserve being executed? Should be an easy answer, right? No. <laughs> no, that was unjust, right? That was not righteous. Uh, and he was fearful. He uh, was furious in a rage and therefore also was unrighteous, unjust. He also had a lack of wisdom because he opposed the prophecy. If God said that the one who would shepherd Israel would be born in Bethlehem, and that's why he thinks that this child is in Bethlehem, why would he fight against it? Why would he fight against God? That is folly. That is foolishness. Uh, it was not the fear of the Lord. And then a lack of piety, because he uses the prophecy to try to kill the, the, the infant, um, he opposes the Lord's Messiah, and then he uses a pretense of piety for a cover-up. Oh, let me know where, where he is so I may go and worship him. Uh, he he sh- tries to uh, pretend to be pious, that he wants to pay homage to this new king, but he's using that for, uh, for the end of destroying him. And so he's perverting uh, the worship of God in doing so. So, so Herod demonstrates a lack of virtue on many accounts. Now, I uh, want to, to finish with Jesus, of course, that he was named Jesus because he was the Lord's salvation, uh, not the salvation to save the Lord, but the salvation that the Lord would provide for his people. It's the meaning of his name. And uh, he was born that he might save his people from their sins. Uh, he came to save them from the condemnation for the sins. You might not be condemned, but rather have everlasting life. And also to save you from the power of sin, to destroy the works of the devil, uh, that he might <clears throat> deliver you from the devil's domain and <clears throat> bring you to a renewed image of God, a life of righteousness and holiness that we've been described in this passage. And so when Zechariah praised God for sending the Christ, he said that God had shown the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. That is what Christ has saved us from and unto, from the hand of our enemies, from the world, the flesh, the devil, from death itself, that without fear we might live with God forever, serving him in holiness and righteousness all our days. Join with me in prayer. Dear God, we thank you for the, the birth of Christ and for what that means for us and for bringing us to a knowledge of these things and faith in him. We pray that you would work in your people uh, these virtues that, like those uh, 
godly ones of old who longed for his appearance, that we, having learned of his coming and looking to his reign at the Father's right hand, might also grow in wisdom and in virtue, that we might be a praise to you, and that we might be a light to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.